Hey, I'm Will Lavise. He's Eric Quaville. You're tuning into Lavise and Quaville. Tell it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective. Let's get right to it. Today's show, immigration. We have a new president, but we still have a crisis at the southern border. Biden administration is now faced with the same issue that the Trump administration was really uh, reeling over, and that's trying to stem the tide of migrants crossing from the southern border, many of them are unaccompanied children. So Trump, when he was in position, he fortified and added some border walls. If you, if you remember, he his big campaign push was build the wall, build that wall, and he also had this zero tolerance policy that led to a lot of the children and families being separated. Biden has now come in and he's been focusing on executive actions to roll back much of what Trump did because of the the um, you know the devastation that it's just caused and the uproar it's caused you know for these families. And the House, the Democratic controlled House recently passed two smaller bills focused on um, immigration policy mainly dealing towards the dreamers, allowing uh, some of the children who were, came in um, undocumented, and were were as children, and have known other place, no other place but the United States, to somehow be able to get legal status and also um, provide legal status for farm workers and their families. So, just recently, Vice President Kamala Harris has now become the point person. President Biden has made her the point person to adjust this po- uh, problem of the crisis, and according to the administration, her two focuses are going to be on the flow of um, irregular migrants and addressing the root causes, she said, uh-huh. you know, to prompt them to leave that, that's prompting them to leave their homes and home countries in the first place. And then also looking to strengthen relationships with Mexico and um, what is called the Northern Triangle country, right. which are primarily El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, where a lot of the, the migrants are coming from. So. Claville, when we look at what these root causes, obviously we got a crisis. A lot of times we try to just address the right. symptoms rather than getting to the root causes. And the root causes that have been cited is violence is a problem, particularly gang violence in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Corruption in the governments um, has been endemic. Uh-huh. And then failing economies, which essentially when your economies fail, is usually because of corruption and, and mismanagement leads to the violence because people, you know, are desperate and find illegal means to yeah. take care of their homes. So, so what's your take when you look at the the current crisis and, and how you see what's really causing this? Yeah, so, Will, I'm glad you really took time to break down what the crisis is and what we're mm-hmm. looking at. Because one thing we've suffered with over the last... Uh, several years in the prior administration was misinformation. Right. So it's very it's very good to get the true facts and about the issues that we're facing. Absolutely. Now, with that being the case, let's let's take a look at the issues that you mentioned first, um, and then we'll and then I, I want to discuss why we're in this situation in the first place. So let's take a look at it. Number one, economic instability. Now. Right. We know that we have been in COVID-19, and, you know, if you're not looking out outside of the United States, well, the United States is the country that's really doing the best right now economically and really propping up the rest of the world. Right. We got the largest economy, right. 
the largest economy. We got the reserve currency of the world, the U.S. dollar. Uh, and other economies are flailing. I mean, they're, they're, they're fledgling, they are failing, and they're hurting their people. Again, we're, we're blessed to be in a country where we have these opportunities and the country can sustain currently the debt that we have to help. But of course, we got to address that later. So if you don't have any money, if you don't have an opportunity for job, then what are these people going to do? They're going to risk their lives for the opportunity to make a living for their family. And that's what I think is a big thing that like a lot of people don't understand or where the empathy kind of falls off is that think about it. If, if we were in this country, we move from state to state oftentimes. Exactly. Why? That's a great example. Because in one state, you don't have the economic opportunities or you, or you get recruited to another state because of a better job opportunity. So in the United States, which is essentially 50, you know, countries that decided to stay together with a, you know, over a federal government. And the district from, <laughs> right. And yeah. And this as another show and the district and the uh, taxation without representation, district of Columbia. Right. Absolutely. But that is, you know, what, what we find, what, what happens is, look, if you can't feed your family, if you want better opportunities, you're going to move. And this is the migration pro- crisis that is existing all over the world, even when you go to other, other areas of the world. It's oftentimes fueled by economic desperation. And right. I've got to somehow find a way to take care of my family. So a lot of people are coming here across the southern border and they're sending money back and they not necessarily want to come here to stay here because they hate their countries and prefer to be here they really would prefer to be there but you're right economics is a big key i guess and then the next the next issue would be what the um corruption and and yeah yeah absolutely corruption so but let me just make one more comment about economics that was a phenomenal analysis you gave an example of moving from state to state Every state is different. Can you take a look mm-hmm. at these countries? You know, we're we're very similarly uh, set up, very uh, geographically, like South America, right? Mm-hmm. With the, how close we are, yeah. Uh, how continuous some of these borders are with each other uh, to separate the countries and the cultures. But here in the United States, our states have different cultures. Texas right. culture cannot be any more different than California. <laughs> Which is or different than New York, correct? Different oh, than oh. New York, and you know, and you know, Mississippi culture is definitely <laughs> going to be different than than Illinois, so or or DC. You know, the taxation without representation, absolutely right. right. So, so you know, need say say no more, right? So when they're when the jobs dry up in one state, you move to the next. Same thing with these countries. When jobs dry up, you move to the next. Now we're talking about violence. What happens in poverty, and we always take this issue and we blame the victim, especially in our black and poor communities, where where there is lack of economic opportunity, right, right? and upper mobility, then what happens is the people in the community feed on themselves. Exactly. Do it through violence, right? So what happens is this economic instability drives violence. And then what happens when uh, legitimate companies, legitimate economic opportunities uh, are not there. What happens, Will? What comes in? Well, <laughs> illegitimate. You know, the, exactly. the black market comes in because, like you said, um, economic instability 
starts to break down families because if you can't take care of your family, that starts to break down. And like you said, the next market that you look to is the illegal market because out of desperation, you've got to do something. And when you get into that arena, you know, the, 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 I mean, all the rules start to go out the window. If there was any morality anyway, even in the, the, the legal system, when you go to the illegal system, the rules of engagement just start to go out the window and, and, you know, profit over people gets, you know, magnified. You know, and and that's what we see. And then we also see uh, drug trafficking also comes in. And we know that drug trafficking also causes violence. And we know uh, there isn't there is a problem with uh, illegal drugs and the drug trade south of the border. Uh, We see theatrical um, uh, depictions of this on television, in movies, sometimes glorifying the violence. We know that a lot of our U.S drug enforcement policy is based upon drugs coming from south of the border, whether they become South America, Central America, Mexico, right. uh, wherever it is. But we know that uh, most of our, a lot of our policy is based on containing that and combating that. Now, we could talk about that in another another show, whether it's working or not, but we know that, that that's the case. So when you have this type of violence, when you have hundreds of people getting killed every single month, in your community, you don't want to say that. No, and, you can and, and, and you and not to mention you talk about drug trafficking, not, not to mention human trafficking. Because well, now there is not only human trafficking for you know for the, the sex industry, but there's also a profiteering off of the desperation of people trying to get to the United States to get better opportunities. Right. So you have, you know, you have the coyotes and the mo- and all of that people who are charging folks exorbitant fees. You know, a lot of this right. is is all tied into the cartels and the gang culture, exorbitant fees getting people here. And then people, once they get across the border, become beholden on them, threats okay. on their families and all those things. So you just got people capitalizing on this high level of desperation that, like Absolutely. you said, there's a lot of it is caused by Unstable governments, un- yeah. which leads to unstable, you know, economies, and then you just got the breakdown of the human condition, and people just suffer. Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at the discriminatory policy that we have in the United States uh, with Haitian Americans and Cuban, Cuban, uh, well, Haitians and Cubans, because the Cubans don't become Americans until they get here, uh, that come. Oh yeah. But, but yeah, wet foot, dry foot policy, right? So if if you're in, if you're coming from Cuba and you're trying to leave the island, and you actually make it, then you automatically become a part of this country. You get safe passage. If you're Haitian, you're on these boats, 90 on a boat, you're in the ocean. Sometimes a lot of people die and drown. And others, they're rescued, but then they're sent right back. You know, And even if you make it, you're sent right back. So we see that these policies are discriminatory uh, in, in its nature for Black countries and a lot of poor countries. And we see this over and over again. But another another thing that you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. is that we talked about the bad economies. We talked about the violence. Now the corruption. So now you've got governments that receive aid from wealthy countries uh, to assist. But that money gets the corruption, causes the money not to get to the people uh, to actually help the people that really need it. And that's where you have instability of government. 
And, and unfortunately, when you have instability of government, Will, people lose faith in the government, people lose uh, the confidence in their country, and what they end up doing is either leaving or joining the corruption itself and not relying upon the government to help them because they say, hey, if they cannot keep their house in order, how can they help us? Yeah, that's a good point, I mean, about, you know, the corruption and government aid because one of the uh, news articles to do some research said it in June 2019, the State Department announced that the administration would move forward with the more than 400 million in projects and grants that had already been approved. Wow. And another 180 million would be put on hold unless the governments in those three countries, wow. Guatemala, um, San Salvador, and Honduras, began curbing migration to the U.S. And 370 million would be rerouted to other foreign countries. So this is one of the things. Well, that's, the over, administration, that's over half a billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, these are major dollar amounts, you know. 750 million back in 2016 was was a uh, was a uh, the government spent on trying to curb this problem. So we're talking about major money, and then like you said, where are these dollars actually going? You know, once it gets into the systems of these governments, so you have governments that are not really taking care of their people, people who are clearly you know desperate for a better life. I mean, you see your child starving. You've got to find some way to provide for your children. So you move, you migrate, you try to send money back. And along the way, uh, people are getting exploited at every point of the process. And that's why now, I mean, what we really need is a comprehensive approach that gets at the root causes that can stem this flow so that people can do what they really want, which is to stay in their home countries and have life and pursue happiness and enjoy their families in the places of their birth. Absolutely. You know, and and again, one thing that we enjoy here in in the United States and other Western nations is political stability. And we know in order to have a successful country, you need political stability in order for investors to come that feel comfortable investing in your country. So political stability is something that we we cannot take lightly. Uh, even with all of the issues that we've had in the last several years under the former president. Um, I mean, we, we can't just put that in our rearview mirror. Will. We have to realize that we, we could have lost and we could have lost that opportunity to be the example and the political stability, which they, therefore begets the investment. So even though it's COVID-19, even though the pandemic has ravaged our world, even our economy is still flourishing. And that's because of stability and the checks and balances that we have that these other countries simply do not. But lastly, there is another phenomenon that's driving this wave of massive immigration What's that, that? We that we haven't had in past years, and that's climate change. Mm. Some call it extreme weather events, but we know it's because of climate change. And, and Will, I, I started to study this phenomenon um, about half a decade ago or more. And it was predicted that we would start, that weather patterns are going to change so drastically. It's not going to give the, the, our lands an opportunity to change to it properly and efficiently 
to allow the, the, the land the natural adjustment. So you mean climate change is not a hoax? Really? <laughs> I think we're past that, right? I mean, if, if, if you take a look at the blocks of ice breaking off Antarctica, mm-hmm. the size of states, to me, that that within itself, you know, I don't know if you had a chance to see the time lapse of, of, of an iceberg break off in Antarctica. That is a loud sound. Hey, I became I became a believer when I saw the inconvenient truth. You know, Al Al Gore oh, yeah. several several years ago. But um, you know, you still got a lot of people out there that think that that's you know that was all photoshopped or you know that's all okay. you know done okay. done it done in somebody's production back in the production studio. You know? Hey, look, let them believe it, but let them go to the U.S. to the Pentagon report. I think four years ago, maybe five, where it was before Donald Trump's president presidency. They show that the number one threat to the U.S. military abroad and domestically is not nuclear weapons, not uh, North Korea, not China at that time, not Iran, Hmm. not Russia, but... Not Al-Qaeda. Not not Al-Qaeda. Oh, man, look, they're not worried about Al-Qaeda. Look, it was rising sea levels Hmm. across the world. That was the number one threat to our bases across the world. So now, on military bases, every single new road that's constructed a bridge is actually constructed about 13 inches higher or actually no I take it back 30 it's it's constructed between one and three feet higher because of the anticipated increase in sea level change so sea level change is going to happen water is going to increase the tide is going to be much higher when it comes in than it was in the past so we just have to get ready as a and know that this is going to happen and protect ourselves and adjust accordingly. But we can do it here, right? Right now, we're working on a multi-trillion dollar infrastructure bill. That is generational life-changing money. I want want you to know that. I want our listeners to understand that. That the work that's about to be put in for our country's infrastructure, for our grid, our electrical grid, our uh, renewable energy, water systems, bridges, roads. This is generational changing for us, income-wise, wealth-wise, opportunity-wise, and the Well, well, we see the impact of it just recently. I mean, in Texas, where you had this major storm came through in Texas because Texas is on its own, Greg, you know, doing what Texas does. You know, Texas is bigger than everybody else. And you had this massive failure when the Un, um, you know, unpredictable weather change came through and and shut down the grid. But when you tie this into um, immigration, so what you're getting at is, again, you mentioned earlier about how the, a lot of the economies in, in South America are still very much agrarian or farm-oriented okay. economies. So if the farmers, are because of climate change, are not able to grow certain crops or yeah. th- it's the land is not producing the way that it was, now they become desperate in their families or they have to start making decisions about what types, certain types of crops to keep growing, which can damage the soil. And so now you also start to see how the cartels become, uh, it can impact that because, hey, you can force at gunpoint a farmer to grow a certain type of crop you know, poppies, you know, and cocaine and so forth, mm-hmm. that in opium. Now, again, that's feeding that black market. And and this is how climate change ties into that as well. If the farmers can't do with their land, 
what they in particular been able to do and can't provide for their families. It just feeds Absolutely. in desperation. Absolutely. And we see that easily uh, in, in South America. <laughs> we see it in Afghanistan with the uh, opium mm -hmm. trade where, again, there are certain crops. I mean, you're going to plant a crop that's going to give you the highest yield. Right. So these drug crops are giving individuals who are in subsistence uh, economies the highest yield. So again, Will, this is a question of, you know, do we blame the victim or is this a failure of the system as a whole? Mm. Because we just we just talked about how when your back is against the wall and there's not a lot of opportunity there for you, then what do you engage in? Hey, how can you blame somebody? How can you blame a right. father? For, for trying to take care of his children or a mother, you know, for taking her child, children away from the, the gang violence yes. and being willing to, you know, go across the desert, being willing to go across, you know, treacherous waters, you know, and, and rivers mm -hmm. for that. I mean, and when you think about it, the people who have that kind of tenacity and have that kind of will, to make it and actually make it here in a lot of ways, you're looking at some of the people who are the mentally strongest and in many ways, the most dedicated and most determined to really make a positive life for themselves. So this is right. why oftentimes immigration has been said, how it actually fuels and benefits a country. I mean, my goodness, we already know that America is a nation of immigrants. I mean, my mother right. is an immigrant from the Dominican Re Republic. You know, my father well, was born there, but we all, we all know are immigrants. <laughs> right, right. So outside of the indigenous people here, and, and many of the reasons why people came here were the same reasons. Failing economies, That's right. better out, over in Europe or wherever they came from. That's exactly what it was, yeah. With the exception of, you know, our ancestors who came, you know, in the holes, you know, of ships. It was failing economies that drove the Europeans here. And it was the economy and white supremacy that justified the slave trade. Yeah. So we're looking at very much the same dynamic. So like you said, we can get down to the root causes. We can stem the flow. You know, one of the things I'm wondering about your take on Kamala Harris being a point person on this and whether... This may or may not be good for her career, depending on how it turns out. We know that she is the daughter of immigrants, both from uh, from Asia and also from fathers from Jamaica, mothers from uh, India. So she knows very much the the her DNA is very much tied to this in, this uh, this issue in a very personal way, as most Americans are. What do you think? I mean, she's getting set up potentially to fail. Or? Well, Will, that's a, that's a good question. But keep in mind, every presidential administration faces a crisis, some mm -hmm. multiple crises. The crisis that Obama administration faced in its first uh, term was administering the bailout. Remember, the bailout was signed by President George Bush, and the banks got their money first and left. Then they say, here, Obama, it's up to you now right. to manage and get us out of this hole. Uh, the bailouts didn't bail out African-Americans, but, but go ahead. I, exactly. I it, it did not bail out African-Americans. No, it did not. Um, you know, now it's up to you to bring the economy back for 
Main Street, Wall Street, we're good. Wall Street, all, keep in mind, Wall Street and the connected always get their money first. Pure. Right. All right. So we know that banks, you know, they get theirs first and they're out. Then it's up to the common man to scrounge. So what happened was that President Obama put Vice President then, Joe Biden, over the getting the economy back going by managing the bailout dollars more specifically right. in his part of the country where he's from, Pennsylvania, Scranton area, the Rust Belt, and getting the car companies back. And that was a phenomenal job that he did. Now, keep in mind, this thing could have went left. Right. It could have went, yeah, it could have went. You know, right. you know, so a lot of it was his management, uh, but a lot of it was also uh, just the resilience of, of the economy, right, building back. Because it was, you know, Maxine Waters talked about it. She said, this thing was touch and go. We have no idea how close we were to the collapse of the U.S. economy because of the risk that Wall Street took and the high gains. Now, as a as a note, and we'll talk about this in another in another segment, but we're there again. We're seeing inflated stock prices. Now, for those of us that have investments, we're doing great, but we're seeing inflated stock prices that's really not supported by the fundamentals of what an economy should be should be supported by. So, mm-hmm. that's again. That's another issue for another day. But as it relates, so so so, what, so when you look at Kamala, so are you saying that this is this is a good move on Biden's behalf and a good move for absolutely. her if it I, if it turns out as well, or is that what you're trying to say? Absolutely. What's going to happen, Will, is that she's in a good position to show leadership with this, and again with her background. You mentioned her being a daughter of immigrants, so it adds uh, a lot of uh, background. You know, to it in in to her legitimacy, cachet, yeah, absolutely. Just like with Joe Biden being from uh, manufacturing, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, so now, what happens? Keep in mind, one of the plans that you mentioned is for us to stem this tide by negotiating with South American countries. We're going to give them X amount of millions of dollars. They're going to build temporary housing clinics to house people, and also we're going to give probably. Now, I'm not saying we're going to do this, but it will be wise to give some cash payments for people to go back to their country to sustain themselves for a while, right? But really, it's about building long-term relationships with these countries and reinstituting some types, as you mentioned before, the numbers, some type of accountability to get job programs for people to work. Building programs work, especially in countries like that where you have low-skilled workers, because those low-skilled general laborers and some high-skilled, they come here to work on, right. on, 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 on construction areas, construction projects. So you just duplicate it there. So that's what's going to really happen. That's, and we're going to see this. Right now, we're taking a hit. And the reason why we're taking a hit is because of the policies that former President Trump implemented. President Trump himself uh, basically banned nationals from certain countries, reduced refugee admissions, uh, to his lowest level since 1980, reversed the decline and arrest of unauthorized immigrants in the U.S. He mm-hmm. canceled DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, deported 690,000 unauthorized immigrants brought to the U.S. as children. So that means, Will, if you were brought here as a six-month-old or one-year-old right. and grew up with the high school and the college, still, you get deported back to a country you know nothing it's crazy. And he also ended the temporary protection status for Haitians, Nicaraguans, Sudanese, uh, and then signaled that uh, Hondurans and also Salvadorians may all could have also lost their authority and protection. And this was in 2017. 
So he created a lot of this. He created this logjam. Because look, if you deport 680,000 people, almost a million, what do you think those people are going to do? They're going to come back to the home <laughs> that they know. So that's yeah. why we, so a lot of those policies that were Im implemented head on without a plan in order to fix the system uh, by the Trump administration, that helped to cause this logjam. So I, I think we're in a good position for her to succeed in this effort. And I think it's going to be a good look for her when she eventually runs for president. Marie, this quote from uh, Jay Johnson, who was the U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security during the Obama administration, 2013-2017, um, looking at the spike in immigration under that began under his watch. He said, as far as how to solve this, he said, it has to be at least a 10-year project. There's no quick fix to poverty, violence, and corruption. You started this in 2016 with 750 million, really a drop in a bucket. Wow, you said that's a drop in a bucket. But how the money was helped, 750 million. Wow. And you said that was a drop in a bucket, helping coffee growers deliver coffee to the market, for example. Mm. It was beginning to have an effect, but the administration has turned that money off now, meaning that Trump administration, the exactly wrong thing to do. So the moral of the story is there's no amount of security you can throw on the southern border to end illegal migration. You have to address the push factors, period. So when you hear that, what should black people do? What should our people do in understanding this immigration issue? And again, how do we address the, the push factors, the root causes that are that are triggering this in the first place. Well, Will, we have to be at the forefront again, as I mentioned. We have to understand the truth through facts and policy, just like we discussed. We went through the the issues that were created, the issues we're dealing with now, uh, not made up issues, but real issues and the causation of them. We also looked at the history behind that uh, in the former administration of policy that helped to create this. And we and also let's talk about uh, you know understanding past policies of NAFTA and both its advantages and disadvantages, which of course NAFTA, which is the North American Free Trade Agreement, was replaced by the United States, Mexico, Canada agreement in July of 2020. So we have to look at all of this and understand it in order to really get a grasp of the solutions uh, moving forward, because we don't want to keep repeating this. Keep in mind, we're citizens of the world. We're citizens of the Americas, Canada, United States, and South America, and right. Central America, and South America. So we're part of the Americas, some of the richest uh, uh, natural resources and richest cultures in the world. So if we understand those issues, understand the, 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 the disadvantages of creating bad policy, and learn from bad policy and create better policies, then I think we'll create a stronger America, which includes all our, our, all our Afro-Latina uh, brothers and sisters and all of our brothers and sisters here in the United States and across the Americas. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Take us on home. Well, again, thank you for joining us for this segment and this conversation about immigration. Join us next time uh, as we talk about very important issues that are important to you on La Vie St. Catch us on our, on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You guys know where it's at on our LinkedIn tree, and we'll see you next time because to us, that's the way it is.